Cleveland Schmooze is sponsored by the Cleveland Jewish News. Get the latest news and information from the Cleveland Jewish News delivered right to your inbox. Choose from breaking news, daily headlines, community life cycle notices, arts, events, highlights, and more with our free e-newsletters. Sign up now at cjn.org slash e-signup. Welcome to Cleveland Schmooze, a bi-weekly podcast about the people who make up Jewish Cleveland. We are your hosts. I'm Robin Rood. And I'm Rachel Rood. This week, we're bringing you an interview with Rabbi Hal Rudin-Loria of B'nai Asherin Congregation. We spoke to him about his journey to becoming a rabbi and how the Cleveland community came together after the shooting at a Pittsburgh synagogue. We sat down with him in his office at B'nai Asherin Congregation. Thank you, Rabbi Rudin Loria, for sitting down with us on Cleveland Schmooze. It's my pleasure to be here. Okay, so we wanted to get a little bit of your background. Um, you've been with B'nai Asherin Congregation for 17 years now. Um, uh, was this your first rabbi posting after rabbinical school? I came straight from rabbinical school. I graduated from JTS, the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York City. Uh, which is one of the conservative rabbinical schools um, in 2001, and I came straight here. I had several student pulpits actually across the country. I was a student rabbi in Huntsville, Alabama for two years, which meant every month I went down for uh, one Shabbat a month, Um, and I had an internship in New York City at Anshe Chesed, one of the larger conservative synagogues, Mm -hmm. Uh, but those were all as I was a student, and uh, yeah, I began... Uh, in the summer of 2001 here in Cleveland. Two questions. Where did you grow up, and why did you... How do you decide to be a rabbi? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great job for a good Jewish boy, right? (laughs) So it's doctor. Yeah, (laughs) so it's a doctor. Now you sound like my mother. Right. (laughs) Rabbi's Uh, not good enough for you? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I say, like every good Jew, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Mm. Uh, But I was raised on the Jersey Shore, Uh, My parents moved down to New Jersey when I was four, um, raised on the Jersey Shore um, between Asbury Park and uh, Red Bank in a little town called West Long Branch, and uh, famous for Monmouth College, or Monmouth University now is there, and that's where Annie was filmed, the mansion, uh, which was uh, one of Woodrow Wilson's summer homes. Hmm. Um, And so I grew up on the Jersey Shore, and then uh, went to University of Pennsylvania for college and then rabbinical school in New York City and I came here. I grew up thinking I would be a doctor. There you go. That's for you. Uh, My father's a physician and uh, just sort of it was always believed imparted upon me I'm I'm an only child and that I would follow in my father's footsteps. What kind Um, of doctor is he? He's an endocrinologist uh, focused on diabetes among other things. And uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful physician, very beloved and very committed to his patients and to his work. He really is an excellent doctor. And just sort of it was assumed, you know, that I would follow in his footsteps and I did well in science. And uh, then, you know, I came to a few realizations. Number one is that I am very faint around blood. <laughs> uh, although I'll tell you, as a rabbi, I see my share of blood. But not as much as a physician, of course. Uh, So number one was, uh, don't do so well around blood, a little squeamish. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number two is that um, I just 
possibly organic chemistry too. Did not do so. <laughs> I passed, but I didn't do great. At it. Uh, but uh, and number three was I just realized uh, this wasn't my own personal passion. Uh, that it was sort of my family's passion or anybody sort of that that was around me. Of course, you're going to be a doctor. Um, and I love Judaism. I love being Jewish uh, from sort of high school and forward and into college. Um, I just loved everything Jewish. I love studying. I love teaching. And uh, just really lit me up. I went to Israel my summer between my sophomore and junior year. Um, and I was in Jerusalem, I went on a tour, and then I was studying at Hebrew University, and we were just sort of sitting on the walls of Jerusalem, thinking like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And uh, someone said, why don't you become a rabbi? <laughs> I said, maybe, not a bad idea. And, and, and that's, that's sort of how I, how I came here. I always say that I'm a doctor of the soul. <laughs> Did okay. you have any rabbis in your family, or did you have anyone you looked up to growing up? A great question. Uh, so I don't have any specific rabbis in my family, although uh, my before I got married, my name was Loria. We're hyphenated now. Ruth and Loria. Loria is a very famous rabbinic name. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, Isaac Loria, known as the Ari, is really the father of Jewish mysticism. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, lived in the 1500s in Sfat in Israel, and Kabbalah really is because of him. Huh. Um, so I might claim to be a relative of, Have you of done him. Geological search. I know I got to do some more genealogy. I know I was also this, this yeah, summer, I know the convention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, there's a rabbi Shadal um, Shlomo Luria who wrote the Sea of Talmud in the 1700s. There is actually a very famous rabbinic name hmm. of the, or at least over the last 500 years. And actually, the Luria family traces through Rashi and all the way to King David. Cool. So it's possible that I'm related to them. I have to do more <laughs> genealogy. I always say it's a mystery. You'll take the street cred. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the cred, and I say it's a mystery. Um, so, uh, but I have I, I loved my rabbi growing up. His name was Rabbi Jacob Friedman of Blessed Memory, mm-hmm. uh, where I'm from. Uh, there's that synagogue was in Ocean, New Jersey, and uh, I loved him. He taught our seventh grade class, and I spent uh, two days a week studying with him, and a lot of his own teaching. He shared a lot of his philosophy with us. Um, and it really resonated with me. I really still think about it, um, both his presence, just he was always there. He always walked the back of the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. He had a Rolodex every Saturday morning. He would go mm-hmm. through, pull your name if he saw you there, and sort of give you a little kudos afterwards. If you came <laughs> to synagogue, give you a little something special. And uh, while when I decided to become a rabbi, he really mentored me. Anytime I'd come home, he invited me to come to his office, and I would spend time talking with him. Um, and just felt a lot of kinship and a lot of appreciation, a lot of support from him. Nice. Were you raised conservative? Yeah, I was raised conservative, yeah. Were your parents, like, observant, religious? I'd say good conservative congregants. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a kosher home. <clears throat> I went to synagogue about once a month. Um, participated. I went to my Hebrew high school, like here, and I was a once a week Hebrew high school valedictorian. I'm not wow. sure what that is. <laughs> uh, valedictorian of my Hebrew high school. And uh, 
Um, but, you know, a nice Jew, good Jewish background. Was yeah. it a large congregation? Uh, it was 400 families. Okay. Yeah. How did that compare to the synagogue in Alabama? Uh, the synagogue in Eitz Chaim in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, it's a great synagogue made up of a really diverse community. Uh, Huntsville's um, a city that uh, sort of has three main uh, components. One is there's a NASA facility there. In fact, the Hubble telescope is, that's everything is based on all the oh, engineers cool. are there. There's a Army missile engineering um, site, so a lot of engineers are there. So those are all transplants that, that have come to work either in NASA. There's also a space camp there also, NASA or um, with the Army and uh, missile engineering. But also just a lot of locals. So it's a really interesting spread of Southern Jewry <laughs> and transplants uh, that have come down. That that was a small congregation. I'm trying to remember. I want to say maybe 50 families max. Oh wow! Um, That's my like first our for there because NASA is on the west side. Yeah. So our West Temple. Yeah, it's a really a interesting community. They have some visiting Israelis that you know, their <laughs> partnerships um, with the army. Or NASA that work together, so it was a really interesting community, very intellectual, uh, but also down to earth. Did you always give your uh, parsha sermon? Sermon thing. Yeah. Um, how do you come up with the ideas for that? Because some of them are very clever. Mm-hmm. So, so what is uh, what is your thought process behind that? Uh, every week for me, it's different. Most of the times, it's something that strikes me. I think uh, something that interests me that I think would be interesting to others. There's a concept called Inyana de Yoma, which is um, themes that are appropriate to the day. Right? Talk, talk about something that's happening in the world right now that everyone can resonate with and where Jewish tradition speaks to it. Um, so whether it's you know humanitarian, whether it's political, whether it's <clears throat> tied to the calendar, um, try to talk about that or something pop culture often tends to as as a starting off point Uh, but to show the congregation and to show myself too um, how our tradition really has something not only to say but to teach and to guide us in that moment when you subscribe to the cleveland jewish news you receive 52 issues of the award-winning cjn and 15 total magazines including J-Style, Canvas, and Balanced Family. Try the Cleveland Jewish News for free. Start your six-week free trial at cjn.org slash six free. I wanted to talk about the Unity Shabbat that we had a Mm -hmm. couple months ago um, after the Pittsburgh shooting. And if you wouldn't mind like walking us through sort of how that happened and, and what has been some of the aftermath of that unity? Has there been more talks since that happened? Sure. It has been a difficult several months for us uh, following the Pittsburgh shooting, the massacring, terrorist attack, uh, killing 11 members of synagogue. Um, but if there can be any silver lining from it, it is the has been the response both of our own community and that of our neighbors. You know, uh, we had a lot of allies come out of the woodworks to stand with us, to be with us, to hug us, and to show us that it is okay and it's safe and validated to be Jewish and to be living here in America and to know that lots of people support us. Um, so Unity Shabbat was very quick. 
or Solidarity Shabbat. You know, it had a couple different names. As you know, it was exactly a week after the shooting, uh, the attack, um, and it was part of a national movement started by AJC and then Jewish Federation to show up for Shabbat. That the best way that we could show um, the terrorists, those that dislike us, that's probably a nice way of saying it, those that hate us, mm -hmm. right? And that we are not afraid to be who we are, and we are not, af we are not afraid to, we're not going to stay away from Jewish gatherings or synagogue, uh, but we are publicly going to celebrate Shabbat in synagogue. Um, so we started to put this program together, and Rabbi Weiss and I, through our network of, of colleagues of Christian and Muslim and Sikh and Hindi and all different um, leaders throughout all different denominations and religions and faiths and cultures, we reached out to them to let them know what we were planning. And many of them did, reached out to us even before we reached out to them. In fact, it, it's more on that side. More of them reached out to us mm -hmm. and asked us, how can we support you? How can we help you? Mm -hmm. um, and we told them that we were going to have a gathering and that we would be honored if they would publicize it and come and be with us and stand with us and hug us and support us and stand with us. Um, and they did. And is there a follow-up? Uh, there has been there have been uh, communications. Rabbi Weiss led a group to um, the Sikh temple, were invited and participated in their worship service um, last month. And there's more conversations between all the denominations and all the leaders. Okay. Is there a concern about the rise of um, anti-Semitic incidences around, you know, any city, but? even in the Northeast Ohio areas, on the rise. Uh, there's definitely concern about the rise of anti-Semitism. I'm sure you've seen the reports just as, a, as I have. You know, really staggering numbers, and every single day there seems to be an incident across America. Um, and yet, um, we I feel very safe. Um, we are blessed to have a security director through Federation, and Jim Hartnett, who is a former FBI agent, and he um, works with, there's a, a national organization called SCAN, which, for better or worse, we get FBI updates regularly. I get FBI updates regularly. If there's anything on the horizon that they are tipped off to or find, mm -hmm. and that um, we, as you know, you came into our building, we're, we're recording this at B'nai Yashurin, uh, our congregation and the door was locked you had to get buzzed in and I don't want to share all of our security protocol because because sure. we don't do that but we have a we have a locked building and I was sharing with a friend how JCC you know you can't walk anywhere at the JCC without seeing a security person yeah. at the end so there's a balance we want to be a warm and welcoming congregation mm -hmm. we want to be open and inviting to anyone who's interested in uh, being here, being our ally, being our friend, being our supporter, and at the same time, we have to protect ourselves. So this is a balance that I think every synagogue is dealing with. You know, I went to I I, went, I was in Greece this summer, 
And in order to attend Shabbat services there, you know, I had to send them my passport weeks in advance. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then I, I was encountered about uh, 20 feet outside the entrance to the building by a security guard. And I had to answer 10 specific questions. Yeah. And even then, they it seemed a little unsure. And then I had to get to another person who finally let me in. And I'm a rabbi, so... <laughs> led a um, Shabbat downtown um, at the for the March for Our Lives that was held in downtown Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Held it on a Saturday morning. For us, it's a little difficult to get to somewhere Saturday morning, so um, I decided with the synagogue's blessings to go downtown and hold a, we held a solidarity Shabbat service at Trinity Cathedral Church. Mm. Um, and I had about 100 people from the synagogue and just the general Jewish community joined me. We did a hour-long Shabbat morning service. Mm-hmm. That was a combination of song, discussion, and prayer. Um, and after that, we joined the Trinity Cathedral Church community for a brief interdenominational prayer session. And then we marched all down together to Public Square um, to be present um, for the March for Our Lives program. It was a very moving morning. That's nice. Okay, that's great. Um, is the best way to combat hate just like living a normal Jewish life and continuing to be there for the life cycles of your congregants and that sort of thing? That's definitely uh, step one, yes, is being who you are and not being afraid to, of who you are and not changing your life. And step two is not just insulating yourself within your own community, within your own home, but uh, reaching out and creating bridges and creating friendships. I was just listening to um, a TED Talk from, I think, earlier this year entitled Why We Hate um, from the TED Radio Hour. They were interviewing several people who were were neo-Nazis or uh, white supremacists that sort of, I would say, saw the light and um, did tshuva, in my opinion, right? And changed, totally changed their ways. And each one of those stories, I forget the man um, who's being interviewed, but I've also told the story before of Derek Black, who is the son of one of the Grand Wizards of the KKK. Hi. He was groomed to be the next Grand Wizard. Mm-hmm. But, his, but he said exactly the same thing, this man... Um, as Derek Black said, was the friendships that he made between Jews and African Americans and other people that showed, you know what, these are human beings just the same as me. And those friendships over time, right, turned turned the tide, turned everything that they believed in and showed that it was all false and disgusting. Right? And it's just about reaching out, being a friend. It's not necessarily critiquing them and telling them how they're wrong, but just saying, I'm a person. Mm-hmm. Right? You're a person too. Mm-hmm. Right? Building those bridges, reaching out. I'm not saying that we should reach out to neo Nazis. I'm not saying that. Right? But we should reach out to other people. Mm-hmm. Right? We should reach out to other people that live next door to us that we don't talk to and that live on the other side of town. 
I just wanted to to sort of get back to you um, and your family. You know, you grew up in a in a household where there was an expectation to follow in your father's footsteps. You have two boys. Is there that same expectation? It's <laughs> a great question. Uh, Eric and I are try to expose to our children what it means to be Jewish, what it means to be a part of a community, and what it means to be an active part in the community, whether it's volunteering, whether it's giving tzedakah, whether it's taking part in services in the synagogue, um, whether it's doing sick visits or shiva visits, um, whether it means um, living a Jewish life in prayer. So my expectations are not that they're going to be Jewish professionals like us. My expectations are that, that they will be active, involved Jews when they grow up. And knowing what it means to be part of a community and not just part of a community, but really giving their all to be in community. That's what we've tried to inculcate in them, sending them to summer camp, Jewish summer camps, and giving them you know, all different variety of experiences, and taking them to different synagogues, not just here to B'nai Yishram, but to get a sense of the larger community and taking part in programs. So that's my hope for them. I think really that's my hope for everyone, right? I want everyone to know what incredible depth and insight our tradition and rituals have, um, that Judaism can really be a source of strength and inspiration regardless of your age, regardless of where you live, regardless of what you need. There are answers to almost everything, and it provides a, it can provide a lot of inspiration. Whether it's a really difficult time or you're going through a crisis, it can really give you stability, support, and strength. Or whether you're thriving and it can enhance and help you show gratitude and connection to community and connection to a larger world. Great. Well, thank you so much for talking with us, Rabbi. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks for listening to Cleveland Schmooze, a podcast produced by Rachel and Robin Rood. Tune in every other Friday to get the latest episode in your podcast feed. You can also find an archive of our episodes at our website, clevelandschmooze.com. And feel free to share any comments or suggestions to our email, clevelandschmooze at gmail.com. That's schmooze spelled C-A-S-C-H. <laughs> That's schmooze spelled schmooze. <laughs> Perfect. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.